All right. Well, good morning, Identity Church. I'm excited to speak today. I'm going to do my piece in the series on um, expectation and hope that we've been talking about over the last several weeks. And um, I've really enjoyed it. I don't know about you, but I've enjoyed it. I've gone back and listened to some of the messages more than once just to, to grab hold of all that's there. And the really uh, fun thing for me about this is that the Lord began to speak to me about expectation quite a while ago and just ministered to me personally about it. And as time went on, I realized that it was going to develop itself into a message. And so about, I don't know, six weeks ago, the Lord, on a Monday morning, I tend to kind of think, okay, what's, what are my tasks for this week? And I just really sensed it was time for me to start pulling this message together. I had not told anybody And so Dusty was in a meeting for work, and I went to my office, and I started my outline of this message and got about halfway through it, and I titled it at the top, Expectation and Hope. And I saved it, and then I was going to go back to it later to finish, and that afternoon, Dusty and I were in the car together, and he said, you know, the Lord is really directing me to start a series on hope and expectation. I said, no. And he said, yeah, why? I said, you should look at the outline I literally started this morning. Now, he called his Hope and Expectation. And I called mine expectation and hope. So it's a little different because it's the other way around. But anyway, so I, that just was exciting to me because it just confirms that we're both hearing the same thing from the Holy Spirit at the same time. So, exactly. um, so we're going to talk today a little bit about expectation, where your expectations come from, and how to develop expectations in the right direction. So I want you to go with me in some thoughts for a minute. Uh, we had about a month ago today our very first Easter service here at Identity Church. And it was a lot of fun. We had a a good group of people here. We had all the usuals plus extras. And everybody was wearing their spring colors. And we had an awesome time of worship together and a great message. And then fellowship and egg hunt and all the fun things that we did that day. And I just really enjoyed it. And as I was thinking on it, I thought, you know, Easter Sunday's always like that. Everybody shows up. And there's always awesome music. And everybody's kind of all in on the worship piece of it. And they're ready to receive a message And then I thought, you know, that's a really awesome service time on Sunday mornings for Easter. And then I thought, well, you know, Christmas Eve's kind of like that. Christmas Eve services. I know for many years our family has gone to one of the local churches here, Westwood, to their candle lighting ceremony on Christmas Eve. And it's always such a special time. We sing Christmas music and we hear a message reminding us about the greatest gift of all of Jesus. We have a communion time and then we have the candle lighting. And it just really helps you put in perspective what the Christmas season is about. And so I've always enjoyed that. And then after I thought about Easter and Christmas, I got thinking about revivals. I was like, well, you know, have you ever been to a revival? It's like the series of services consecutively. You might have guest speakers in or guest musicians and singers in leading worship. And there's all kinds of people bring all their neighbors and coworkers and friends. And we are, you know, are telling people about Jesus and aiming for salvations and um, pointing people toward Christ. And then my thoughts kept going and I thought about conferences And I think the kind of the concept of a church conference is relatively new considering the church, or at least in my life it is. It's not anything that I remember people going to a lot when I was a kid, but churches now have them all the time. You might have a women's conference or a men's conference or a worship conference or a grace conference. Dusty back in February preached at a No Fear conference um, at the North Campus. And so conferences, people go, and I've seen amazing things happen at conferences I see people get born again, baptized in the Holy Spirit, healings happen. People get answers to questions they've had for a long time, or they get set free from bondages that they've had for decades. And so as I began to think about that, I thought, what was different? Why is Easter Sunday and Christmas different, 
and then revivals and conferences. Why is it that every Sunday or every church service isn't like that? Why is it that I don't wake up every day with that kind of readiness? And I've, after thinking on it a while, I've really decided I think we just don't have an expectation. We don't show up to those regular services expecting anything special. We don't wake up in the morning with an expectation that this is the day the Lord made for me and he's got something awesome in it for me. We just live our life and let things come at us and we don't really expect the things that really are available to us as believers. You know, when I was a, a young, when I was a little girl back in the 1980s, Brother Kenneth Hagen would come to Birmingham. Brother Hagen was the founder. He's been passed away many years now, but he was the founder of Rama Bible College, which is the Bible college that several of our friends have graduated from, our former pastor, Pastor Jim McCann III, graduated from. So we know a lot of people that were ministered to by Brother Hagen's uh, Bible college. But in the 80s, Brother Hagen would come to Birmingham, and he would come to the biggest church in Birmingham. And this was back before there were things like Highlands, you know. So he would come to the biggest church in Birmingham, and people would come and line up outside and wrap around the building and around the parking lot and wait out there for hours to get in to hear Brother Hagen. Or maybe to get, they didn't get in the sanctuary, they got put in an overflow room where they might could hear the audio version. I guess coming out of speaker of Brother Hagen's message. This is back before we did a lot of live streaming things. So, you know, they just wanted to be there. They were expecting something there. When I was a teenager and I went to youth camps, We would go Monday through Friday, and we had a service on Monday night, Tuesday night, Wednesday night, and Thursday night, and then we all went home on Friday. If you, we'd have a great service on Monday night, and people would go, oh, but wait till Thursday. And then people, we'd have an awesome service on Tuesday night, oh, but wait till Thursday night. And people would wait, and Thursday night would be awesome, and teenagers' lives would be changed. But you know what? Why were they waiting until Thursday? Yeah. It was there the whole time. The Lord's always here, and we can draw from him anytime, but sometimes we just wait. We'll wait because, I don't know if the teenagers, we waited because we thought that was our last shot before we went back home to the, you know, to our real world of school and parents and that kind of thing. But sometimes we put our expectations in a person. We put them in a certain service at church. We put them in a place. I have to be in this place. I can't read my Bible and pray and receive from God unless I'm in my prayer closet. And for some people, their prayer closet is this certain chair that they sit in with this certain tablet in their lap. And and they've got so many ritualistic things that they're not bad things, but they feel like if I'm not there, I can't receive from God. God can't speak to me while I'm at the grocery store. He can't speak to me while I'm in the waiting room at the dentist office. And we put limitations by stopping the expectation. See, expectation is a powerful force on the inside of us that will draw things from the Spirit of God if we'll let it. But so many times we don't allow an expectation to happen in our life. So let's go back and look at the founding scripture of this series. This is the one that Dusty's been using the last several weeks. Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 21. says, For I know that this will... Oh, and by the way, this is uh, Paul speaking. He's in prison. He's writing this letter to the church at Philippi. He says, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now remember that Dusty has 
told us before, if you look these up in the Greek, earnest expectation means intense anticipation. And hope means confidence. Okay? I want us to go back for a minute and look at this scripture. Start it back at the top. Paul says, for I know. He didn't say, I guess. Maybe. He said, I know. Do you see the expectation already? Yeah. I know. I don't tell you I know something when I don't know it. If I do, I'm lying. But he said confidently, I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. How is it going to do that? Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. The supply doesn't have to come from me, and it doesn't have to come from you. It comes from the Spirit of Jesus Christ. Where is the Spirit of Jesus Christ? If you're born again, it's in you. The supply that you need for everything in life comes from what's already been put on the inside of your born-again spirit because Jesus is there. The supply is there. But because we don't have an expectation, we don't draw anything out of that. And unfortunately, so many Christians will live a lifetime just trying to survive until they go to heaven. And they don't realize everything they need, God has already provided in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. So Paul said he knows, there's his confidence, because it's going to come through the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation. Not God's expectation, not my pastor's expectation or somebody else's, but according to what I am expecting to be. So Paul had to be the one that was expectant here. So when we have things in our life needs, instead of looking to the world for our answer, let's start drawing from the supply that's already in there. But you know what? You may say, well, Heather, I, you know, I don't really have any expectations. Or maybe you do, and they're not the right ones. Because expectations come from the experiences you've had. They come from what people have told you and taught you. They come from the schooling that you've had from parents and family members, from social media, from the news. The world is pouring expectations into us. And you have an expectation sometimes that you don't even realize you have. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's a time period for us to draw out and get rid of those expectations that are wrong. Let me give you some examples of expectations that all of us probably here have. Well, no, I take that back. We hopefully don't have them, but a lot of the world does have this expectation. Things like people who are the ages of 18 to 25, they're all immature, incapable of making wise decisions, that they can't support themselves, we should never require anything of them, that they're lazy, they're ignorant, they're too busy making a TikTok video and playing video games to be useful to society. I hate to say it, but when we look at a lot of people in society in that age group, there's a lot of people like that. But you know why? Because they were told that that was the norm and it was okay. And so now that became their expectation and their parents' expectation of them. Kaylee and I were talking about someone that she knows who has been out of school for a while and they're literally doing nothing. Nothing. They don't have a job. They don't go to college. They don't, they don't do anything. I said, well, what are they doing? Well, they, they just, they're at home. But I said, do their parents not require something of them? I don't think so. Nobody's putting that into them, so the expectation gets met in a bad way. You know, when Dusty and I got married, we were very young. I was 19 and he was 20. 
we owned our first home by our, the end of our first year of marriage, and that was truly a blessing of the Lord. And he started working for the company that he works for now, but it was as a contractor in a different department than now. But he was about 23 years old, and he worked for a boss, and the boss came in one day and was kind of frustrated with his own son. And he was like, he won't do this, and he's lazy, and he's not working, he's not doing this, but you know, he's only 25, so it don't matter. He'll figure it out. And Dusty said, I'm 23. And that boss looked at him and said, do not tell me I hired a 23-year-old. Dusty said, you did. And you know what? Dusty was on time. He came every day. He held his responsibility. He was paying our mortgage. We were paying a car payment. He was helping to take care of me and help because I was still in college. And it was because he was taught an expectation from his mom and dad. Papa Jack was not going to let him live in the basement forever. <laughs> Without a job, he was going to keep charging him dollars for the life. That's right. <laughs> that might be an inside joke for some people. But anyway, we have to have an expectation. And see, society has built into young people, you don't need to feel responsible for anything because you're just too young to do anything. We do it on the opposite end of the spectrum. We have decided as American society that people past a certain age, they don't have any wisdom to speak into my life. You're just old and out of touch with reality. Have you heard that? We see that all the time. You just need to sit home and mind your business. We don't want you in our ministry. We don't want you here. We just need you to only be convenient when it's convenient. Maybe keep our kids sometimes. That is terribly sad but true in today's society. I have Dusty and I were talking about it. We have seen it in a lot of church cultures where if you don't fit a certain look or a certain age, they don't want your help. That's wrong. That is a wrong expectation that society has built into us. Yes, buddy? The sad thing is, is that those people that you were saying they were too old or whatever, too out of touch, those people are normally the most capable people. Yes. You are absolutely right. They're the wisest people because they've lived life longer, and if they're retired, they have more time to devote to things that are needed. Everybody is useful and has a purpose, but we've told, we've set these boundaries in society that you can't be too young or too old. You have to fit in this perfect little box, and that's an expectation that we've set in society. And we've also set it with our health, that when we reach a certain age that we have to expect certain things to happen because the medical world told us so. Well, I know a lot of people that the medical world told them they'd never have children, and they did. That's right. Kaylee has some friends that are triplets. Their mom was 52 when she had them. They were miracle babies. You know, I think, I'm going to be honest, I am so amazed at that woman because I think by 52 I probably would have given up. But she didn't. She was determined. She just kept speaking the word and declaring that she was going to conceive a child. And she did. Three of them. Three beautiful little girls. Well, they're all they're grown-up girls now. But expectation. Your expectation can draw something out. Here's the problem. Where you focus is where you're going to go. And our expectation sometimes is in the wrong place. I'm going to tell all myself about where you focus is where you go. Mama, you might remember this. When I was 15 and I had my learner's permit... I got to drive home from school every day. I didn't get to drive to school because we were usually in a hurry. So I got to drive home from school only on the back roads because I was very inexperienced. And so I was driving one day, and Mom's in the passenger seat, and my younger brother Drew was in the back seat. And we're driving down this country road, and there's this big pasture. And I don't know what was going on in the pasture. I don't know if it was a new baby calf or, or a tractor or what it was, but Mom or Drew one said, Oh, look! So all three of us looked. And fortunately, no cars were coming because the next thing you know, the whole car was looking. Physically, the car 
The car went over the double yellow line and across the oncoming lane and almost into the grass until mom grabbed the steering wheel and jerked it back into the lane and said, only passengers get to look. The driver has to keep their eyes on the road. You know why that was? Is because I was so inexperienced that wherever I looked is where I drove us. So I had to keep my eyes on the road. You know, I've been driving for decades now, so I can look now. And Joanne has, a, on the way to Joanne's house is a alpaca farm. And so I have loved to look at the alpaca farm as I drive by. But you know what? I don't look over at that farm the whole time. I have to keep looking back at the road. That's right. And even though I'm a much more mature and experienced driver, I still have to watch the road. Because if I don't, the longer I keep my eyes off of it, the more over time I'm gradually going to go in the wrong direction. And see, our focus has got to be on the right things because where we focus is where we go. And that's where you have an expectation. The Bible says, I pull this scripture all the time because I just love it. Proverbs 23, 7 says, For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. And we've said this many times here at our church. Heart is your belief system. Whatever you really believe, that's who you are. So if your expectation is negative and it's bound up, founded and based on things that the world have told you, then that's who you are. And that's the expectation you're drawing. Your expectation is drawing things to you. And that's what it's going to draw is the negative things. Matthew 12, 35 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. See, a good man who is putting good things in his treasure, this is like a treasury, that's what he's going to draw out. If you put something good into your soil of your belief system, of your heart, that's what you're going to draw out. That's where your expectation is going to be. So your supply of the Spirit is things of the Spirit and of God's Word, and you'll draw those out. But if you're putting in evil things, and evil just means anything that's not godly, it doesn't line up with the Word, it's against the the Word of God and who God is, you can be a believer and be putting in evil things into your belief system. There's a lot of born-again people that believe lies about God and about His Word and all kinds of things. But if that's what you've been putting in from social media and the news and everything else, then when something comes at you, your expectation that you go to pull something out, it's, it's not from the supply of the Spirit because you're trying to pull from things that the world has told you you've got the wrong treasure built up. That's good. You know, Sometimes people think, well, you know, I don't, I don't really know how much of an expectation from God I have. And if we're just honest with ourselves, sometimes we might think, well, you know, I just live my life. And Monday through Friday, I do my life things, and then Sunday I come to church. And so we never really connect the two and realize that everyday life is about us drawing from the Spirit. Everything we do should be about drawing the supply of the Spirit. And so sometimes I think it's, I think there are two things that prevent us from being able to draw something good from our treasure, some good expectation, and we're going to talk about those. The first one, what is limiting my expectations for the things God has promised? I think sometimes it's because I'm not familiar enough with the promises found in God's Word to actually be expectant of them. If you don't know it's there, how can you draw it out? See, the Word of God, the Bible tells us it's alive. That means that it will be alive in your situation. And the Word of God is not something that you can ever put on a checkmark list. I've read the Bible through. Check. I've done it. 
It needs to be something we go to repeatedly. That's our focus. And see, if we're driving toward the Word of God and we're studying and reading His Word, it keeps us on the road. But if we let the cares of this life and the deceitfulness of riches pull us off and we're not looking at the Word, we'll drive off course. Our expectation will be something negative. The Word of God, according to 2 Timothy 3.16, it says that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. That means it's going to benefit us. It's profitable for what? For doctrine. That's founding your beliefs on it. For reproof. That's showing you where you're wrong. For correction. That's showing you how to make what you did wrong right. For instruction in righteousness. Now, instruction in righteousness isn't just telling you how to be a good person. Instruction in righteousness is the Word of God will actually show you what it means to be a righteous person and live a righteous life. When we got born again, the Word says that we are now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And if He's on the inside of us, then who He is, everything that Jesus is, came to live on the inside of us too. Jesus is peace. He's soundness of mind. He is help. He is provision. He has love and compassion and hospitality. All of those are things, characteristics and traits of Jesus. And he's in us. So if we go to the word, it will instruct us on how to draw those things out of the spiritual supply. And that the righteousness is not just about, I got my sins taken care of and I'm going to heaven. It's for today's life too. That the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Remember, you've been putting good things in your good treasure and you've been focused on the word and now you can do every good work. But if we're not familiar enough with God's promises, then we don't have an expectation of them because we don't know them. So how do I get to know them? Well, I go to the word and the Bible says that the Holy Spirit is my counselor. So I go to it and I read it. And I don't just read it to get head knowledge. I read it to get heart knowledge. So that means that I might need to meditate on a scripture for a really long time and study it out and let the Holy Spirit speak to me about it. You know, there have been times when I spent months on one book of the Bible, one small book in the New Testament, because the Lord just kept teaching me things out of it. And so I read it, and I read it, and I read it. First John, the book of First John, I studied that book for years in addition to some other things, but the Lord just kept ministering to me out of that. So we have to get past what sometimes happens in church culture that I've got to sign up to read the Bible through in a year. Well, if you do, congratulations, but did you get everything as you read through in a year? Or were you busy, busy going, oh my gosh, I'm five chapters behind? Or, Has that ever happened to you? I, as a teenager, it used to happen to me a lot. of like, oh my gosh, I'm behind on the reading plan. And so I've got my Bible and I'm speed reading trying to catch up. You know what I got out of that? Zero. Nothing. It would be better to read the same book over and over and let the Holy Spirit teach you what He has for you in that book. And let that get planted in your soil of your belief system, your heart. And you know what else happens? Not only does it get planted, but as it roots its way in, if it bumps into a rock, and by rock I mean something that's wrong about the Word of God that you believe, or wrong about the character of God that you believe, something you've been taught that's incorrect, it will help root that rock out. Right. And there might be a time, 
You know, if you get rocks out of a garden, sometimes they're easy to pick out. Sometimes you have to work to get it out. And so there have been things in my belief system before that the Holy Spirit began to minister me about. Like, you know that's not really true. I'd be like, well, that's what I've always heard, and I heard it from a reliable source, and this is what I believe. And I just would walk away from it for a while. But then the Holy Spirit would keep talking to me. And as I kept reading that word, it just kept coming back. And then I had to humble myself and say, okay, so if this isn't what I should believe, what is? And you know what? I didn't get an answer falling out of the sky that instant. But slowly but surely, the eyes of my understanding were enlightened, as the word says. My focus shifted to the correct things. And the Holy Spirit helped draw out of me the truth that set me free. But we have to know God's promises. So I encourage you, get in the word. Spend time in the word. And you can even listen to other people teach the word. But I think the Holy Spirit's the greatest teacher of all. If you'll just go to the word. So that's one reason that sometimes we don't have a good expectations because we don't know what to expect. Nobody ever taught us what to expect. The second thing, what's limiting my expectation for the things God has promised? Sometimes I'm not familiar enough with his character to truly believe his promises are for me. I've been told his promises, but sometimes I don't think... They're really for me. They're for, it works for other people. Or I'm comparing myself to others all the time and their walk with the Lord, which is a really dangerous thing to do. The Word of God tells us not to do it. But I feel like that God's character is based on what I do, what I don't do, that, well, I came to church every Sunday this month and I put something in the offering plate and I read my chapters and I gave my... Uh, my prayer time, and so now I have earned the right to have an appointment with God and, and speak to Him and talk to Him and, and receive something from Him. You know, that sounds crazy, but we do that sometimes. When we've done something we know is wrong, instead of just going boldly to the throne room of grace, as the Word says, we just hide and we're like, well, He's probably mad at me. And we think God's ticked off or mad. God's not mad at you. That's not His character. That's the character of Adam. Yeah. Really, that is the character of Adam, that he went and hid from God. Yes, it is. You're right. The character of Adam who hid from God. When we do something wrong, we should go running into the open arms of the Father and say, Lord, I have messed up, and you need to show me how to fix it. And it doesn't mean we might not have consequences, but God can always put us back on the right path. He can make a way where there seems to be no way. Mom and I were talking about this. Rivers in the desert is the scripture in Isaiah. Whatever's got to happen, he can put things back into perspective. But if we're not familiar with his character, then we might not believe that. We either don't know his promises or we know some of the promises, but we don't really trust that they're for us. 1 John 4, 16 says, And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. That's his character. God is love. And he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. It says we have known and believed the love God has for us. Known. That's head knowledge. And in the church culture, we all have a head knowledge that God loves us. We are told that all the time. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. God loves you. And it's great to share that. But a lot of times it never goes from here to here. And I've got a head knowledge that somebody told me God loves me. But I don't have a belief system that he loves me unconditionally. 
And if I never went any further in my walk with Christ, his love doesn't change. If I never finished the ministry he put on my life or the right way to do something, he loves me right where I am. That's freeing. As a matter of fact, it will free you to move further. Because you were the one holding yourself back. And when I have the freedom of, I can't mess this up. He, he is everything I need, so I can't mess it up. Then I'm free to just keep going forward. And if I make a mistake, I go to that throne room of grace, and I just keep going. We have to know and believe the, God, the love that God has for us. You know, Dusty preached this. Uh, I want to say back at the beginning of when we started the church. But I, it just kept coming back to me, and I felt like we needed to revisit it. The greatest of these is love. 1 Corinthians 13, 13 says, And now abide faith, hope, love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. If you study that out, uh, the greatest of these means the first yep. is love. So really, these things are listed in reverse order. Faith, hope, love. You have to have love first. If you don't know you're loved, then you can't have any hope because you don't have a confidence in somebody that doesn't love you or you're not sure. And if you don't have a confidence, then you don't trust him. Believing God's love for you leads to hope. That's a confidence. And when you have hope and you've got that confidence, then it leads you to have faith, which is your trust that he's going to do what he said. So now I can have that anticipation, expectation that God's going to do what he promised he would do. And if I have that confidence and that anticipation, I can literally just draw it out of the Spirit as I need it. But again, it goes back to the first, the greatest is love. If I never got that piece of it, then I'm busy trying to figure it all out in the logical realm instead of drawing it from my belief system, my heart. Now, I spent many years of my life in some areas where I literally just had a head knowledge of things of God. I had been told by people, good people who believed it themselves, but I had heard so many scriptures quoted that I could quote them back to you, but they were not real to me. I could declare God's word, I mean, that God loved me, but I didn't really believe it. And I spent probably a year really just meditating on the love of God. Yeah. Yeah. And it was life-altering. I said I was going to get through a whole sermon one time without crying. Apparently, that's not today. Anyway, God's love is bigger than anything you can imagine. And I didn't even know that I really didn't believe it. Until somebody began to teach me, and the Holy Spirit taught me, and I went to the Word and began to read it. And I really thought for a little while, I really think that is too good to be true. I really think it's too good to be true. And I was the one putting guilt and condemnation on myself about things. It wasn't a person. It was me. It was just, I think, some of my personality a long time ago, and I'm, I've worked my way out of a lot of this, I was very much a people pleaser. And I would, go, I would bend over backwards to make you happy. And I think I put that over into the God category, too that I had to do things to keep him happy. And I was so afraid if I messed up, he was never going to use me. 
that he was just mad at me, that he wasn't going to answer my prayers. And if I didn't get my prayers answered, I never blamed him. It was me because I was just not good enough to do it, to get it, to earn it, to have it. And so I literally, every day for almost a year, I looked myself eyeball to eyeball in the mirror and I said, Heather, God loves you. Y'all, that was awkward. And it was uncomfortable for me. And I'm not saying you need to go do that. This is what the Lord told me to do. Because, you know, I was going to believe me more than I believed anybody else. And so as I got ready in the mornings and I was by myself, I would just look myself eyeball to eyeball in the mirror and I'd say, Heather, God loves you. And for the first month I did it, I almost felt like I needed to avert my eyes. Like I just couldn't look at myself and say that. And as time went on, the revelation came, and it changed my life. And once I knew he loved me, then I could be confident in who he was and what he had provided for me. I could trust, and now I have an anticipation for his good, and I want to know his word, and I go to his word not out of obligation because he's going to be mad if I don't read my Bible, but because I want to know what it says. I want to know him. And then I can put that in. And when something comes at me, I can draw from the supply of the Spirit that's in me with confidence. It's powerful. You've got to know God's character. You've got to know God's character. We know His character by spending time with Him. That's in His Word. That's in prayer. That's in praise and worship. And by the way, prayer is not, it doesn't have to be structured. Does that make sense? It's literally just a conversation. When I was teaching school, I would have students. I taught at a private Christian school for many years. I taught in public school too, but for most of my career was in private Christian school. And we would pray at the start of every class. And there were times where I would be like, okay, who would like to pray for us today? Because I, I prayed most days. And I would say, who'd like to pray for us today? And the most panicked look would come on these teenagers' faces. And everybody would go, and everybody's looking in every direction but at me. And, you know, I. I thought, I should just call on somebody. But then I thought, you know, I'm not going to do that to people. And every once in a while, there'd be some kid that would go. And then their prayer would be really so soft you couldn't hear it. Amen. We'd all go, amen. We think it's finished. They were so afraid. They, they were, and I asked, I said, why does the thought of prayer scare you, especially public prayer? Well, I'm afraid I'm not going to say the right thing. What's the wrong thing? He already knows your thoughts. He already knows who you are inside and out. Sometimes it's about the people that are around us. And we're afraid of not saying the right thing to impress people. But it's just a conversation with the Father. Get to know the Father. You can believe Him more when you know Him. I'm going to tell a funny on Papa Jack. I'm telling on Papa Jack. Always do. Always do. So yesterday, Mimi and Papa Jack helped me with my flower pots in the front. And we got some dirt on the sidewalk. And Papa Jack said, if you'll get me a broom, I'll sweep this dirt up. So I came in and I got a broom that I've used outside for a long time. A long time. And I took it out. And I said, here you go. And he looked at it and he goes, wow, that is a worn out broom. What have you been doing, riding it? And I said, well, no, but I'm about to hit you with it. <laughs> now, you know what? I've known, and by the way, anybody listening, Papa Jack is my father-in-law, and I'm his favorite daughter-in-law. So I'm his only daughter-in-law. But anyway, 
You know what? I have known Papa Jack for probably 26 years now. And anybody that knows him very well knows that he's hilarious and he's always got a funny to, to, and he likes to mess with you. But you know what? If I didn't know his character, I wouldn't know how to receive that and I wouldn't know what to expect. You know, we used to go out to restaurants when I first started dating Dusty and his parents would be with us and his dad would mess with the waitress or the waiter. And oh, I was just like, oh, now he was kidding, but I didn't know him well enough to know he was kidding when he would mess with him about things because I didn't know his character. But I've spent time with him for a long time. And I didn't try to rush the relationship, but we just did life. And we spent time together. And now I know him. And I, I was not offended by him asking me, did I ride that broom? I just have learned to come right back at him because I know his character. See, the same thing with God. If you know his character, when you're reading God's word, you'll let that love saturate you and you can look at the word with a whole new set of lenses, whole new focus. Instead of the word condemning you and bringing you, making you feel like, oh, I don't do that and I don't do that, you, you can look at it and go, you know what, there's something new for me here. I can receive that. It's from a whole perspective, and our focus is on the right things. It's on His love and goodness and on His Word. So when life comes at us, we can draw from the Spirit's supply. The last thing I want to talk about about expectation is that it will bring boldness to you. Expectation and hope bring boldness. Now, this is the same scripture. This is Philippians 1.20, but it's a slightly different translation. But it says, this is Paul here. My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything, but that now, as always, with all boldness, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether by life or by death. With all boldness is the piece of that. That when we looked at it at the beginning of the message today, we didn't read that part a second time, but Paul had that confidence, and now he can declare things boldly. And that's what knowing the character of God and knowing his word will help you do. Your expectations will be declared boldly. And you won't have to be meek and mild and timid about what you're expecting. You can declare it to people boldly. So when life throws something at you like um, sickness of some kind, or you get a negative report from a doctor, instead of trying to go to my head knowledge and go, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And looking at it from that perspective, my first thing is I'm going to draw from the spirit supply. What did the word say what is God's character? Love. He loved me so much he gave me Jesus. Jesus loved me so much he went to the cross. And on the cross, he bore stripes on his back for my healing. And the word of God tells me that. And because I have put the word in, I know that there's a scripture in Isaiah 53 that says, By his stripes we are healed. I know that same scripture is in 1 Peter chapter 2. And it looks back toward the cross and says, We were healed. Past tense because it's already been done. I know in 3 John chapter 2, he says, Beloved, I wish above all things that you may prosper and be in health, even as your soul prospers. I know that his word says to lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. But do you see, I was drawing from my spirit's supply, but if I haven't put anything in, there's nothing to draw out. And it doesn't mean I can't get the help from a doctor or from a medication, but it means that my first expectation was from God's promise. And that the Holy Spirit would direct me what else I need to do. That's right. What if it's a financial thing? I get a bill in the mail that I'm not expecting and I don't have the money to pay it. Instead of me panicking, freaking out and going, what am I going to do? How am I going to pay this? Instead, I go, okay, God loves me. Let's see what his word says. Well, his word says that he supplies my need according to his riches 
It says that he takes care of the birds of the air and the flowers of the field. It says that everything I set my hand to, he would cause it to prosper. I go back to that third John scripture again. Beloved, I wish above all things that you prosper and be in health. It says he, he's going to take care of me. I'm drawing from my spirit supply. And it works with everything. If you're having a relationship issue and you just keep butting heads with somebody and you can't seem to work it out, go to his word. Now, there's not going to be a scripture that says, Sally Joe is going to start getting along with you. And I'm going to start believing that scripture. No, but I'm going to go to the <coughs> word of God that says that he is peace. If Jesus is peace, then I am peace. And I bring peace with me. And that the Holy Spirit is my counselor and he will counsel me on how to handle this person. And sometimes that means I have to humble myself enough to say, even if you keep acting like a rear end, I'm not going to. Your negativity stops with me. And I'm just going to keep loving you because that's what Jesus did to me. I'm just going to keep loving you. And because I've planted that word and I know I'm loved, now I've got enough on the inside of me to love them back when they're unlovable. Just like Jesus did to me. Amen. The word, and you can do it boldly. The word of God will make you bold. Your knowing the character of God will make you bold. Expectation and hope. We all have an expectation. What's yours? Where are you getting it from? And if you've got bad ones, clean them out and start putting in the new ones. The ones that Jesus provided. Amen. Do you have anything or do you want me to close this out with prayer? What you want to do? Okay. All right, let's bow our heads. We're going to pray. Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord, for today. Thank you for your love for us, Father. I pray a greater revelation, understanding, and personal experience with your love for each one of us like we've never had before. Help us to be aware of it. Holy Spirit, counsel us and open our eyes to see all the times that it's just another example of God's love, another example of your love, Father. Father, I pray that your word becomes a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, that our steps are ordered by you. And as we go to your word, that you're bringing truth and revelation to us to plant into our hearts, to help us dig out wrong thoughts and wrong beliefs, to put in the promises of God so that they're in our treasury to draw from, that supply of the Spirit. Thank you for always taking care of us, always supplying what we need and being so good to us. You are so worthy to be praised, and we love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.